The Saudi league this time last year was hoovering up some of the best talent across Europe. Roll on 12 months and there's not a significant signing in sight. Is this the Saudi league just taking a breath or is it dying already? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Enya Luko questions the policing of online hate speech. The Saudi League has gone quiet in the transfer market and has financial fair play rules moved the goalposts for the mega rich clubs in the Premier League. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. And Neil, in the last two transfer windows, the Saudi League were able to attract the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, Sadio Mane, Benzema, Neymar, just to name a, a few. The transfer window has gone very quiet this January. Why is that? Um, I hope, Roy, it's a mixture of a little bit of cop-on and maybe a mixture of they've taken the kind of mercenaries that wanted to take the money and they're running out of proper footballers now and people are actually looking at the other side of the the fence, I guess. The grass isn't greener. Maybe Henderson is kind of after uncovering a couple of little ugly troops when you go over to these scenarios and the gyms aren't up to scratch and the training sources aren't up to scratch. Um, I mean, most of it you learn through that scenario where there's not enough people supporting it. They barely a thousand people watching their games, and for someone kind of, I, I don't want to say Jordan uh, Henderson is high profile, high profile, but what he's done in the game and where he's come from, for him to turn their back on it and literally they're, they're saying he won't even get paid a lot of the bonuses and stuff that he was due, for him to walk away is kind of damning at this point. Um, but as you're saying there, the transfers, there's nothing. There's a lot of rumours of the kind of, I call it the old guard, um, the likes of Casemiro, Martial, Modric, Varane, guys that are kind of near in the end or at the end of their careers. But they're only rumours. None of them might move. Um, I'm looking at the transfer here. It's Renal Lodi from Marseille to Al-Halal for $23 million. And then everybody underneath him seems to be kind of no marks, you know, down to my favourite name, Wellington Silva, who's moved for 450k to Al Najma. <laughs> so, you know, maybe they're running out of the guys that they wanted to get, but maybe they're coming out with the narrative that, look, we took everything that we need to keep us going for the year. Well, you would imagine a bit like the Live Golf, where, you know, if you're going to keep going, you have to keep attacking, you have to keep bringing in these people, you have to keep growing the brand. And so it's, it, I think it's hit a bump, and maybe there's a little bit of common sense on both sides, but. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if it went away the Chinese league and the MLS when they tried to do a similar scenario and as all they ended up doing was spending a hell of a lot of money and going nowhere with it. Yeah, Dave, you look at the Chinese league, you look at the MLS, uh, the MLS has kind of restructured itself a little bit. It started off, you know, real high profile. Then it kind of restructured itself a little bit and they've kind of finely tuned it and are going in right direction. The Chinese league did exactly what the Saudi League has done and pumped loads of money into getting players in, giving them ridiculous wages. And then at the end of all of that, it kind of faded away. Can you see that kind of happening now with this Saudi League? Potentially, but there's more in the coffers in Saudi Arabia than there is in in China, that's for sure. Is there the passion, Um, though? It'll remain to be seen. And look, there's always a bit of a Saudi Arabia have been consistent kind of qualifiers over our, 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 our lifetime. So there is a, 
a want for football. But like, if you look at the league without knowing it that much, Al-Etifak wouldn't be a big club. There is a big crowd at the very top end of the, of, of the league and the al Nassers and few, like if you're well aware of the Asian Champions Leagues and World Club Cups, you, you know one or two of these clubs if you're a real book, uh, like a nerd of the game. So they have a bit of a, a heritage because obviously they have the best of their like of their of their own nation, like you said, and they're a consistent qualifiers. So they're obviously one of the better in terms of Asian football. But look, unfortunately for them at the moment, the best they can get is the guys coming near the end because most of what who rhymes is already over there. They're in the toilet, you know. To to pull out, uh, off an Mbappe or somebody, it'd be would be fairly damning. You know, you look at Live Golf; they they bring they brought over a few of the kind of up and coming and current stars, and that's what's more shocking. Well, I think with the Saudi League, unfortunately, the likes of the Champions League is just still just a monster that it is, and that's still the ultimate competition that the top footballers want to want to win, and especially the guys in 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 the absolute peak of their, in, in their game, and that's what's going to take time uh, to 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 um to overthrow, and I don't think that'll ever happen. So it's about being a, a sizable disruptor, a best of the rest. And you never know um, if they become decent, they might want to do a deal. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they're going to try and do. Where can they sneak into some Champions League football or something? You know, a bit like Liv and PGA coming together. I'd say that's where, if they want to survive and they want to mainstay, I think that's what they're going to try and do. You look at uh, Super Cups are all in Saudi Arabia at the moment, so they're, they're, they're luring some of the European teams over. I think the Italian and the Spanish are over there. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's their project, if they can somehow get a place or two in that, you wouldn't know. But no, don't get me wrong, I'm not confident in that. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they're thinking because I don't think you can take on the beast that is Champions League. When you look, Neil, at the World Cup, it's starting to settle down in the Middle East uh, over the next decade, I suppose, if you want to call it that. Is it the case that this league, the Saudi league, would really need to be pushing to try and squeeze into that Champions League. We've seen Australia in the Eurovision. Is it impossible? <laughs> is it impossible that the Saudi League could get into the Champions League? Well, there's no doubt they're trying, Roy. And if if any sort of European Super League comes online, um, money, money talks at the end of the day. So Dave is actually saying there about the Napoli game that was on the Super Cup. I think there was only a couple of hundred people that attended it. So I think mm-hmm. they need to sort out their own kind of fan bases it doesn't need to be sustainable over in Saudi Arabia because they just throw good money after bad money. They don't care. So it's not like, you know, like a League of Ireland where you're relying on people to support. The Saudis can have zero people at the game and they still have enough money to not really care. It won't affect them. But I think their their long-term goal has to be to try, I'll use the word, infiltrate. They need to infiltrate these leagues if they want to be successful, if they want to be recognised, and if they want... Like, you know, I imagine they sold Ronaldo the kind of dream of... You know, I know no Champions League team wants you now, but in maybe two years' time, we can do our own version of it or we can join another breakaway group. I'm sure these dealings have been done behind closed doors and they're trying to come up with something that can make it relevant that the Saudi teams can get into it. Um, There's a lot of, obviously, balls in the air in order to make that something like that happen, but it just feels for me at the minute it's a long way away. They got off to a very, very good start insofar as they attracted some super players like they really did and they went all out. Now, are we being premature six months later saying it's come a bit of a cropper? But I think it's definitely slowed down. They need to think about their strategy. It definitely revolves around the World Cup raising the awareness and trying to get people mm. more. Like, let's be honest, a year ago, no, I wouldn't have been able to name a Saudi Arabia team. Now I can. 
and now I know players that play with them and I know managers that are there um, it's just about uh, growing that brand but you know I imagine like the Live Golf they'll want it done overnight they'll want it done yesterday for the size of the investment that they put into it I don't think they'll want to be waiting five years down the line so it'll be interesting what they can manoeuvre in the next year slash year and a half um, in order to raise the profile of that league Yeah uh, it's going to be very interesting to see where it goes it's nearly a year now Neil because like this time last year the likes of Ronaldo and all were joining them so they've had two transfer windows they've gone heavy in both of those and this little lull now just kind of raises a couple of doubts so if there's another lull in the summer it, it'll be a very interesting place okay Enia Luco put out a video this week stating she felt under threat and she was afraid to leave her home after the hate speech which was directed her way regarding Joey Barton's comments that women should not commentate or be allowed to be pundits on the men's game. Dave, firstly, let's talk about women pundits. Is it sexist, in your opinion, to say that you don't like a pundit if she's a woman? Uh, deep down, if you know the person or whatever, no. It, like, there's, good, there's good pundits and there's bad pundits. But us doing what we do, and this is why it kind of came into my mind, uh, the wife asked me about Joey Barrett's comments and we kind of pushed him away. But then I said something about 20 minutes later, I said, if I go on the podcast, like, I'd have no problem going, do you hear that cup shake? Uh, Jamie Redknapp or Gary Neville or something. Well, if it was any Luco or your Izzy Christiansons or um, uh, Sue Smith or whatever, I'd probably be wary about how I say it and how I'd put it across. You know, that kind of thing, because I'd be just, that's what I'd be fearful of. Even though, you know, there's a lot of them in the game now, there's good ones and there's bad ones. It, it's as simple as that. But like, I'd like to be able to be in a position and I wouldn't want to be mean about it or nasty about it, but if I don't agree with something, I want to be able to say so. Or I want to be able to use similar language because, in fairness, I just want to treat people the same and I'd like to treat people the way they like to be treated. And in my opinion, like, you know, if something's not good or if I don't rate them, I think, like, you know, I want to be able to say so. But look, my my big hang-up about it is it's just, I think, punditry is a bit lazy and sloppy with the, with the TVs and I think they keep some of them in far too long. Um, say for example the likes of Gemma Hayes now I've been impressed with her and I think she's very good obviously she's going to be moving over to America but she knows the game inside out I'd be talking to her going who's, who's the right personalities because don't just be bringing in a woman for the sake of it to tick boxes and to have the diversity bring in bring in top talent and a bit like the men's game because I've been saying it for years I think there's a few too many guys in fluff on their way through it that need to be moved on and some fresh blood without shadow of a doubt because you need that bit of a mix of Phone slash uh, knowledge knowledgeability because like it's if it's a bit too much of the Neville and Carragher, I personally think that's getting stale. So I think you need a bit of a mix. And I sometimes uh, if you get the right person in, I don't care who they are, whether they're white or black or or, or male or female, just get in the right people in the right mix. And um, what's his name? Thomas um, was sick. Uh, the guy who was presenting the soccer Saturday, and I, I can't think of the, the name of the woman who came in. And I apologise for that, but everyone's raving about her, going she should be in full time over him. So the majority of people I don't think really have that kind of sexist kind of nature in them. I think they just want to have good people on TV. And um, my only hang up about, and this is a general statement, I think with some of the women that come on, they just try a little bit too hard to be technical. They almost sound like the managers and coaches, sound like a player. And um, they try too hard to say the right buzzwords. And sometimes it's like, look, we get it. You play the game. Don't try and prove it too much. Relax a little bit more and just talk like you're a player now instead of like, you know the technical aspect of the game and sometimes I find they try a bit too hard with some of that kind of buzzwords that most of us are not interested in you know that kind of thing but most importantly 
I want to be able to sit here someday and kind of go, geez, did you hear your one last night? I just didn't get it and I didn't understand it or what she was going on about. I didn't agree with it. All. But that's all it is. It's because I just didn't agree with the opinion. It's not because of who it came from, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think at the moment, I think any wrong war, any wrong move, and uh, well, put it this way, if we want more clicks, I think it's the easy thing to do. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think, Neil, over the years, if we, if anyone was talking down in a pub or meeting at a football training session and they talked about Jim Beglin or Garrett Crooks or Michael Owen and they go, <laughs> Jesus, he he really annoys the hell out of me. He's, or he's brutal or how does he get on television? You hear this constantly all the time. For me, it's I, I think, Neil, that it's the women are now in this game. They're in the pundit game. They're in the commentary game. And unfortunately for them, they are in the social media era as well. And they're hearing all this yeah. stuff that the the Jim Beglins mightn't have heard and the Gar Crooks mightn't have heard over the years. I'm sure they're hearing about it now. So is it something that they have to kind of just try and let it slide and not listen to the to the crowd? Maybe just stay off the social media. Yeah, and you see, this is the catch of it, Roy. So the problem is, is that I think well, certainly it's a problem. I think that's what they were doing. They were getting out there. They were trying to kind of learn their trade. They were getting in a couple of panels. As Dave said, some of it was kind of forced that you had to have diversity on the panel. Some of it was some of them were actually quite good and quite knowledgeable. Um, Alex Scott, Karen Carney, for example. You know, you'd listen to them. There's no problem. Mm-hmm. The problem becomes is when. Someone like Byron comes out with a statement and goes, they're not qualified for to discuss men's football. And it kind of gives the social media platform, the keyboard warriors, an opportunity to go, mm-hmm. damn right, go back into the kitchen. So it's giving people a platform to sit behind the, the, the TV and go, yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to throw a little bit of hate on top of that as well. But you do get that with all walks of life. You you're have to name a Michael Owen there. I remember there was like, what was it, the top 10 of Michael Owen's quotes when he come out with, crazy stuff and we ridiculed the guy for it and I remember him coming out himself and going I never said that I never said that and then they were looking at footage to try to find you know when he said you know, if they'd have won that game they'd bloody laugh but it was free all just something silly and you were laughing to yourself but again as you say it was it, I won't say it was water off the ducks back and then we just moved on and life went on there was good pundits there was bad pundits we're at the point now where look you know anyone can be a pundit the question is, are you going to go back to them again and again? Are you going to favour them? Is the ones mm-hmm. that you tune in? And I think we all find ourselves, you know, you find one or two, you kind of relate to, and you're like, oh, yeah, be it Carragher and Evola, be it soonest, you know, maybe Eamon Dunphy, how many of us for years tuned in just to hear Dunphy go on a mad one? It had nothing got to do with football, but it was entertainment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the characters you want to see. You want to see people coming through. As Dave said, mix a little bit of the fun side of it. That's why match of the day, I think, still works because there's a bit of a laugh, especially the match of the day too. You don't need to force it or you shouldn't need to force it. Mm. Just let it happen naturally. But also, and I would say my main issue would be bringing people because they should be there, not because they should be more inclusive on the panel. And then I think people yeah. will learn to accept what they're saying and involve them in conversations and then let go of the kind of the tags that go with it. Yeah, I think that the natural flow of things that the right people will fit into yeah. the job and and that'll be men, women, whatever race you are. It won't make a damn of a difference. It is about the right uh, mm. people. I mean, Roy Keane is in that job a few years now and there's many people out there who slate the shit out of Roy Keane. But there's also that, as Neil said, that entertainment value 
which, you know, yeah. people just look for that. They're, it's 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 gold. It's comedy gold at times. So yeah. it's not always about their football and opinion, but just a little bit of a bit of crack there as well. So uh, there's no doubt that there's uh, the women. And I think this we're all in agreement. There's no doubt that there's a place for women in punditry and, and commentary. But it's just making sure the right people are in the job and then there'll be no there'll be no targets then. And that goes for men as well. There's a lot of, of fellas in there and when we're watching Sky Sports news and they're they're having their news and then they go back refer back to someone who is not as high profile as the others and they're stuttering and they're they're not really not really getting words out of them. They're a bit camera shy and you're kind of going, God, this is painful. What is he doing? God, I hope he doesn't come back on again the next time, you know. So it's there all the time. I think it's just highlighted a little bit more at the moment. There's a sensitivity about it. Yeah. And I think that will erode over time. Again, make sure the right people are there. So I think we're all in agreement there on that one now. Neil, I'm going to start with you again on this one because the financial fair play rules as I said earlier on, have moved the goalposts in the Premier League. There's a lot going on at the moment and there's a lot of clubs who are who are getting a little bit of a fright. Yeah, so we went to dig into this a little bit today with a bit of time hand. So, I mean, the bottom line is you're allowed to have 105 million over a three-year uh, period, 105 million loss. Now, obviously, Everton uh, did the books and they found themselves around 20 million over it. And that was the margin that they got punished, they got boxed, they got docked 10 points. But the reason why this now is intriguing me is because we have a scenario where Newcastle, who are the wealthiest club or wealthiest owned club by a state in the world by some considerable margin, and they actually are looking like they need to sell before they have to buy. So Kieran Trippier, they're saying, might be lined up for a move, and then Isaac up front, who's their, I'd say, prized um, striker, they might have to sell him in order to strengthen other positions on the field. I find that fascinating that you know, if you look at what Chelsea did, you know, 20 years ago, you look at the way City were built, you look at these mega clubs coming in and just spending money kind of willy-nilly and it was allowed and they were able to grow their club and the next thing you know, they were competing and winning titles and Champions Leagues and such. I think we all thought that was going to happen with Newcastle. That, you know, we weren't saying it was this year or the next year. <clears throat> we were kind of going, eventually we're going to have a period where Newcastle are going to be competing in the Champions League. They're going to be signing players of the ilk of Mbappe and all. I think we said it on the show before, I would have definitely said that we think that Newcastle are going to kind of follow the Manchester City route where they originally bought in overpriced players and then they kind of got a little bit more profile. Then they went for the real, you know, the Agueros of this world and then they built a, a, a team full of superstars. But it's not the case. And the financial fair play, I will say, is finally doing what it was intended to do, which is to not allow, allow anyone you know, state-owned club or uh, a rich family to dominate football. And that mm-hmm. way you have the likes of Luton Town coming up and competing in the in the Premier League rather than coming up and getting absolutely ravaged because they can't compete on the level playing field. So it looks to be bringing it a little bit better. And I'll also add in, it looks like the clubs have to get their act together because if they don't run their club uh, correctly, and I mean bringing in the wrong signing spending too much money and even wages over the next few years, that's really going to impact how they can bring in replacements if they bring in a new manager, how they can change formations, how they can change attacking styles. So it, it, it becomes a more interesting um, Premier League for me over the next three to five years based on this. Dave, it looks like these rules, when you look at Everton there over the last three years, nearly a half a billion down Chelsea 
Neil said about 20 years ago it's only a couple of years ago since Chelsea went absolutely ballistic buying huge numbers on, on fairly average players Premier League standard average players uh, Aston Villa 306 Man United 302 it's going, there's going to be a level playing field now with these rules that they're being implemented isn't there? Yeah you'd like to think so but there'll still be an element of the big boys will be up there because of the fact that they have that worldwide uh, revenue that they can bring in you're talking a half a billion and I think that's why Newcastle can't exactly get that quick jump because and Newcastle fans won't like it but I love this it proves that they aren't the big club that they say they are because they're big in their own city but in terms of worldwide they're not yet and they're not bringing in that money from all around the world that your Liverpool's United and now the likes of your cities and Arsenal's and, and Chelsea's are doing as well um, so in order to be a good a top club and spending big money, you need to do a good job overall, uh, uh, off the pitch as well as on the pitch. So in, in that sense, it's going to be uh, interesting to see who can kind of break into that kind of stranglehold of these kind of teams. Um, so in, in, in no one can just come in and just start splashing the cash willy-nilly anymore. Uh, so it, definitely in terms of uh, that, the big boys won't be too bothered because they'll still be the richest of them all. However, you know, not one of them can just go a bit crazy one year and just try and pull away from the rest. And the likes of United can come back into it quite handy because of their uh, pull and power in terms of what they bring in revenue wise. So they'll come back to the to the top of the table better once they're better run. Obviously, they have to bring in one of the lads from City, which will be interesting to see. But uh, yeah, I still think the big boys will still be up there, but it's just going to be a little bit harder to break in. However, you know, guys who who are near the bottom can't just go and break the bank and, and burst away and spend their way to the top um, in that sense. But I think it's ultimately what it is. It still keeps the rich rich, richer, like the rich stay rich and the poor stay poor. But it just means uh, clubs have to be run better now and it safeguard them from going under or getting into trouble the way you see some ex-Premier League teams who are now down in League 1 and League 2 and are probably hanging on to survival by their fingernails in terms of how they're run. So it's a bit of a, a nice balancing act to protect clubs, but also it means it's, it's it's no new billionaire can just come in and take over within the space of two years. You have to do it properly and do it right. Uh, so yeah, for me, it's a, it's a, it's finally starting to come to fruition, and and uh, long may that continue. Yeah, Neil, this is what everyone's waiting for to see Manchester City. Would they be absolutely hammered when you look at the the points that are being deducted? Well, possible points are being deducted when it comes to Nuts Forest and, and again with Everton. It kind of just shows that, well, relegation has been, t- has been talked about a lot, a lot. If they don't get relegated and they and it's proven, uh, there's going to be big questions answered. Yeah, I was looking at an interview on Sky where they're saying um, this issue now with Everton, the fact that they've handed out this 10-point deduction to Everton for breaking the rules... Mm-hmm. This is almost like it's it's brought D Day forward. It, you can't hide from it anymore now. Once you've breached and once these charges come in, there's going to be fines. It's a very, very, as they were saying, a very, very serious business. They have to be treated. They can't treat everything one way and everyone else a different way. So what's going to happen is they're going to have to fast forward a little bit on the city allegations. They can't keep punishing other clubs. To so say Everton and Forest and someone else gets punished in City are hiding behind the lawyers and dragging it out. They really need to get their act together now. But it is feeling like it's getting more nearer only due to the fact that they've handed out this fine of 10 points. It's massive implications. Because let's be honest, everything can still go down off the back of this. 
and now they have to start going after the rest. So it feels that this juggernaut is beginning to move and it's with fascination we watch it because the amount of charges against City is, is phenomenal. Imagine they relegated City, like what happened there, wasn't it, Juve years ago when they were back to the, to the first division. So imagine a powerhouse like City having to go down and, and take their punishment um, and then the, the repercussions of what would happen after that would be very interesting. Hugely, their whole history gone in in a moment. So that'll be hugely interesting mm. when that comes around. Dave, you were watching the Australian Open, Djokovic, who beat <laughs> a, a, a twentieth seed. Tell us what this got to do with football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, just this morning, catching up, what's happening in the world? Obviously, the Australians Open's on now. If anyone's bothered, and I just caught the headline that uh, Novak Djokovic, who I can't tell you exactly how old he is right now. I think he's 38, 39. But he's in the twilight, like uh, like Nadal. Obviously, Federer's already gone. But we all know that they've dominated tennis for the last 20 years. And he's been in and out with injury as well. And obviously, he didn't play in certain tournaments because of COVID. So you'd think he'd be a bit ring rusty, like the vaccination scenario from last year. But he was in the third round, and that guy called Manorino was the 20th seed. So you expect to be a fairly solid player. But he defeated him 6 low, 6 low, 6 3. And it just made me think on. And who's going to take over from these lads? Or is there somebody? And will there be all these nobodies winning a winning um uh what do they call them a Grand Slam title uh, over the next few years when they finally retire? And you kind of it just made me wonder. Going where's the talent? It's a bit similar with golf, you know. Since Tiger, like even the likes of Rory McIlroy, who would you regard as the best around, he still only has I think six major titles. But I think the last one was over ten years ago. Jordan Spieth came on the scene one, three or four quite quickly and then he got the itch and disappeared. And you're kind of saying to yourself, what's going on? And it made me wonder a little bit about football because like, I can speak from a societal sense as well. Like, There's a lot of kids out there who literally will only play football at training. And we all know big boys and lads who we have looked up to in our time, they'd be playing 24-7 and they'd have a ball at their feet all the time. And I, I, I can see it around my daughter and other kids that I know that they literally would play whatever sport it is, but it's only at training, at training time. And that's it. And you're just kind of going, is the depth of talent quite as high now in mostly football, let's be honest here, than, say, 20 years and beyond because of that dedication or obsession that was more of the case or the way life is now. There's more distractions, screen times, video games and all that. Is that why it seems a lot of a lot of football now seems very similar type of player, quality type of player, and we're always screaming for a striker. We're always screaming for a real talented attacking the field a number 10 playmaker that's just not there anymore because they don't obsess about the game I only seen a clip of Maradona the other day and the shit that he could do with a football was insane I know he's a different gravy but he probably just did that constant forever as a kid where most kids nowadays don't and I just think that gets the talent I think it is the diminishing and I'm not saying it's the worst for the game but it just definitely seems to me that it's not quite the way it was and just to finish and you can get in here for example, that FIFA best, you know the way you love awards, right? Yeah. And Messi got it this year. So I just quickly, I rhyme off the top 10. Messi, Haaland and Bappe, I won't argue with them, top players. De Bruyne, now after this, we're starting to struggle, in my opinion. You're going to Ossiemen, Rodri, Alvarez, Bernardo Silva, Gundogan, uh, I'm not going to say his name, and then a guy called Marcello Brozovic in 11th and Declan Rice 12th. I'm just going to quickly flick back to 1998, and I'm going to start at the bottom. And these are the players who weren't even got a vote, so they weren't even in the top 30. You've got the likes of Zonimir Boban, Fabio Cannavaro, uh, Roberto Baggio, um, uh, Andrei Shevchenko, Pavel Nedved. They didn't even get a vote. Juan Sebastian Veron, 
now I'm going to get into the top 30. And these are still the guys at the bottom, David Beckham, Fernando Hierro, Christian Vieri. So let's move right up to the very top. You've got Zidane, Schuker, Ronaldo, Di Ronaldo, uh, Rivaldo, Badi Stuta, Turam, uh, David, Bergkamp, Desai, and that's the top 10. And there's a shitload in between. It, it's like, I don't think there is a comparison at the moment in terms of depth of talent. I think it's fairly obvious. And I, I, not that I'm worried, but it's just, is it, will it be cyclical and there will be a, t- a talent pool that comes again? I, I, that remains to be seen. And you guys being in coaching and at schoolboy level, you you see a hell of a lot more. Would you have players who must just play when they train and that's it? Yeah, Neil, let's take Eden Hazard for an example. Unbelievable talent, playing with Chelsea, um, outstanding, got his move to Real Madrid, dream move, plenty of money, and then just kind of disappeared. It's one of the problems that these contracts big contracts that they get. You see it. You see it with Rashford dri- uh, dropping, Aubameyang dropping his, his game as well. That it, There's a distraction there from a, a lot more distractions where they used to be just football. Go and win your trophies. Make your living out of football. And that was it. It's There's a lot more distractions. And with all that money, you can do anything in this world. Yeah, and I think, Roy, the, the money is the biggest factor in breeding laziness and breeding contempt. And, you know, if, if you look at football, you, you look at the South American players that come over. I remember Brendan Rogers did a very good interview there about three, four years ago um, talking about why there was no Irish players in the Leicester uh, Academy, or very few. And his answer was very simple. It was, we've got guys coming from South America and they are hungrier than you've ever seen. Their life depends on it. Their livelihood depends on it. Their families depend on them. The sacrifice they've made. They're street footballers. They're tough. And they are eating and chewing up the European kids. And that's not just the Irish. That was the Dutch, the Germans, everybody. So it was. it's something that stuck in my mind. These guys are coming over here with a mission. And as Dave said, they were Maradona. Maradona came from nothing. Like Ronaldo came from very humble um, um, startups. So it's that type of character you want to build. Players that want to play because of a hunger and a desire to make themselves better and then to go on to achieve great things. But when they achieve and they uh, they get money and fame, it doesn't change them, or it didn't change them. Like, look at the, the names uh, Dave Ryan off there. Uh, you know, every one of them was a superstar, but the money wasn't what it is now. So now you've got, like, 19, 20-year-olds driving up in the Ferrari for training. You know, their Instagram, they've been, you know, bored on the shoulder. They're buying gaps. It's just... It's diluting what success is and how hard you work for it. Um, and it's always something that sticks in my mind. Just as a little sidetrack, Stephen Bradley, I remember he wrote a great article on Stephen Bradley, uh, Rovers manager, where he said, the day I went over and checked my balance after we moved to Arsenal, checked the balance on the, uh, the ATM was the day that I lost about 10% of my hunger. I think that's fascinating because he kind of went, I've made it now, I can relax a little. Where if he didn't have that money, he would have been fighting to a nail to keep going and going and going. So I think that's what's happening at the moment. The sport has been diluted. People make their money. And there are a lot of people in the game that are only in it for money. There's a lot more players that aren't as dedicated. When they make the money, they completely relax. And that's these are the guys that disappears out of some of the top teams because they can't hack it at the top level because they don't drive themselves enough. Um, Sancho is the greatest example I can give you as in a new age kid had the world at his feet, got a massive move to Man United 
and he's fallen out with the manager. He was arriving late. He was on the PlayStation. There's all this crap coming out about him now. In other words, he wasn't a model professional. And yet he's playing something that people would kill for. But it seems to be the norm these days that we're not producing these elite-minded, single-minded sports people as much as that, that we used a decade or so ago. Yeah, Dave, what's the answer? How did they get out of this sort of trouble? Or is football in, in trouble? Yeah, maybe it is because Neil is predominantly talking about money there, but he's kind of alluded to something I asked about when Brendan Rogers said uh, the Irish don't make it. Like, this is before they even had money, uh, both of you. So that's what I'm trying to say. Like, is the depth of talent there? Regard, like, I 100% agree with the money. It doesn't, like Joe Fraser, it's very hard to get up and train in the morning uh, and get punched in the face and you're wearing silk pajamas. Like, when you reach the top and you're future <laughs> clinical and you've all that money, it's very difficult and you're getting up out of that bed in your silk pajamas getting into your Ferrari eating eating the best of food having private chefs cooking your dinner very hard to get up for a, a, a cold uh, game away to Bournemouth today if you know what I mean like you'd easily get a few bad eggs there who wouldn't give a shit but like as Neil's alluded to with what Roger said a lot of the homegrown as in even our own are not making it over there because they're not even hungry before you even get there but it sounds like because the the hunger compared to the South American that so I, I, I think the talent there is a bit of talent there, but I still don't think it's as much. And yes, money is a factor, but I also think it is down to everyday life. Kids, unfortunately, do not dedicate themselves the way other like other guys did back in the day when they're 10, 11, and 12 because, you know, there's better things to be doing. They're not pushed the same way. In, 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 and it can, that can be healthy, but I think it's a mixture of how you're brought up slash obviously then the money coming in. But I definitely think the early years is one of the biggest factors why we are struggling for real a real competition for top, top talent. We can rhyme off the two or three best players. And then after that, I think they're all pretty much the same. They're all copy and paste. Yeah. It is hard just to jump in. It's all right. The, the league, like I have a good access to the League of Ireland in the last two years now, obviously, because the daughter is playing. Um, but the, the amount of, uh, you're saying there about street football, you know, we all used to go out and we used to play mm. in the greens and we used to play. I'd agree with Dave that most of the uh, planned or, you know, for kids to go out now and play is a planned session. There's no kind of going out and playing the street. There is, but it's sporadic. Um, well, we had straight leagues, now, Neil. We created our own leagues against different estates, and you know, mm. we would play home and away. You'd play on a constant basis. You'd play two, three games a week on top of your training and your football that you played for your team. It was like having two clubs that you were playing for. So, it, you never stop. You, you, won't, you won't see that yeah. again. No, I don't think you ever will, Roy. And that's what I'm saying now is that if I look at my daughter, she does a TY where she does maybe six to eight sessions a week during the day, and then she trains. Uh, three nights a week and then a match on a Saturday. It's an insane amount that she's getting, but it's all mm. predetermined, if you know what I mean. Like She wouldn't have an hour to go out the street and play football now. Um, and I imagine that's very mirrored by the boys because the amount of travel... To, to be an elite player now, to be you know in your League of Ireland 15s, 17s, 19s, the amount of commitment that you have to give to be at that level, to get to that level, to go up and, and hopefully find a senior team that you can play in, slash move to England, move to Germany, whatever it would be. We seem to, you know, the, the, the game has changed. The street footballer guy doesn't seem to make it anymore. You have to be elite at an early age. You have to be looking after yourself. The commitment has to be there. The parents' commitment has to be there. There's a massive amount entangled of hours to get the kids to that stage. 
and then it still feels like the Irish are still playing catch up to these other nations that are maybe doing it in school all the time where they have different uh, scenarios with their club teams and their uh, academies so there is a lot more to I don't think it's down to the lack of hours I think it's it's become so elitism and it's become so difficult remember that whole you know the 1% that make it the 1% at the moment is just not in favour of our system the amount of time we can put there and that's killing maybe them talented kids from coming through because the Premier League has gone too big, we can't get into the Premier League clubs anymore, mm. and that's a massive problem. It's just an Irish, only Irish perspective, um, but definitely the street fo- footballer, in my opinion, is dead now because it's it's like you can't make it by being that that character of the eighties, nineties, early two thousands. But the irony, the, the irony, Neil, is on. Remember the little quick videos that Glenn Cronin and Damien Duff did when they were in, well, Glenn Cronin still there, but Duff was a, a Rovers manager. And they were. This is what we used to do when we were kids and play it off the wall and all that. And they're street football and they're telling their kids that that's the way to go. They were on their social media for a couple of weeks. So even they obviously seen that they need their lads to start playing a bit more football outside of outside of the official time. So it's a bit like what you're saying is true, but it's even these guys who are in these academies obviously can see that and 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 they're obviously they were at the time trying to encourage it because they obviously know that there is a depth of even basic touch. Like I'm sorry, like. We're, we're just Sunday league footballers, lad, but I'm quite confident to get out there and I'd still have a half decent touch because we play football 24-7 compared to probably yeah. some of the kids nowadays. I could take them on now, no problem. I'd, I'd be that and, confident. And just to go on from that, Dave, and maybe the conversation for another day, I think we're breeding athletes these days. We're not breeding footballers. Correct. So if you, if you have a kid that can run, yeah, if you have a kid that can run 100 metres in, in you know 12 seconds and they're absolute bullet lightning, you can, if they're an athlete and they can run and they can jump and they can sprint and they have all these attributes, they seem to be the ones that make it onto the elite teams rather than the creative. GPS killing the game. There you go. It's and it is a change in times. The the athlete is coming to the fore and it's taken yeah. the skill and the kind of you know like Maradona yeah. probably would have never made it in this day and age. <laughs> and he starts yeah. flicking the ball and going, "Boy, whoa, 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 what are you doing?" I think the you way know, you make it, the, think the way that you make a footballer that's better than what is out there now is we never had that sort of. There wasn't as much of the organized football. If you have the street footballer mm. who gets that organized football as well that's a player that's be, to be reckoned with because you will have the, the, the gifted nature of his natural ability that he's learned out on the street and then he's given all that information that they're able to get now. Yeah. It, it would be the, the perfect storm and uh, that's where they need to go to. They need to get something going. They need to get some some scenario where that is available, street leagues or whatever it is, but something has to happen there if they want to get it back. Now, thankfully for for us, there's no silk pyjamas between the three of us and we will (laughs) definitely be back next week, humble as ever. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.